so sweet before they're teenagers. You guys know what I'm saying is true. Luke, Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter, sorry, I got a niece here that's a teenager. I love you, sweetheart. You're good, all right? You're a teenager, right, Sophia? But you're innocent, so I won't hold that against you. Yeah, you're a good one. Luke 24, go to Luke 24 in your Bible. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, stretch your legs out a little bit. Luke 24, and uh, glad to hear about uh, the opportunity that, that God presented to some of our church people to go to Korea, Lord willing, uh, working on a missions trip right now to Mexico for next uh, year, uh, down in the Merida, Mexico area, and um, if uh, you're interested in that, uh, just keep your ears peeled, we'll be uh, talking about that here in the months to come. Luke 24, we also have uh, some of our uh, people going to Malawi, Africa uh, in August as well. Really excited about that. Looking forward to what God does there. Uh, Luke chapter 24, and going to read a, a couple of verses here. Uh, like I said, I just wasn't ready to move on from the resurrection. I don't know about you guys. I like, uh, I like thinking about the fact that my Savior's not dead. I, I like knowing that like, I don't have to go to a, a statue that represents what uh, my Messiah or my Christ or my Savior is supposed to be about. I, I can talk to him today. He's alive and he's well. Uh, look at Luke 24. Uh, Going to look at uh, some men that walked with the Lord Jesus after he was risen from the dead. And initially, they didn't even know that it was him. And yet, in their lives, it changed some things. So I want to talk to you this morning about how the resurrection should change you. Luke 24, look if you would at verse number 13. Luke 24, verse number 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. You're like, what in the world is a furlong? And what is that all about? We're going to get to that. Don't worry about it. I promise we'll, we're going to do some math. It's going to be fun. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass, while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And for the next several verses, they, the Lord asks them about what, what they're talking about, and, and he can tell that they're sad, and so they, they talk to the Lord about him, about himself, and they don't know that it's him. And they have this conversation back and forth, and I'm not going to read all the verses. Look down, if you would, at, at verse number 26. This is where, uh, verse 25, this is where the Lord uh, speaks up. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can you imagine a message about the Lord Jesus Christ preached by the Lord Jesus Christ going from the law of Moses all the way through the prophets? You guys think I'm a long-winded preacher? Uh, This was a long message. Starting in Moses and going all the way through Moses, all the way through the prophets, And the Bible says that at the end of this, they were not looking at their clocks. They were not worried about what time it was. They weren't worried about their lunch plans. Look at verse number 32. After the Lord left them, here's what they said. And they said one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? I want to talk to you about these men and how they were changed And what the Lord changed in their life just in this uh, situation where they experienced a risen Savior and how some of those things, if you're a born-again child of God, how the resurrection should change you. Now listen, very carefully, there are only two groups of people here, and it's not men and women, it's not black and white. It's really simple. You're either saved or you've never been born again. Now look, don't don't get offended if you you think that I'm saying that you're, you're lost. I don't know if you're lost or not. Here's what I can tell you. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior to pay for your sins, the Bible, not me, I didn't write this book, don't shoot the mailman, all right? The Bible says that you're in condemnation already because you have not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. So, so today, can I say it like this? If you want to get out of that and experience the love of God and, and have eternal life and abundant life and let God change you from the inside out, it will not come from government-mandated laws. It will not come from education. It will not come from reformation. It will not come from philosophy. It comes from relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if you want to experience that today, you can 
as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I'm going to ask uh, my dad, Papi, if you would open us up in a word of prayer, please. Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. And let me just say by way of introduction that the Bible tells us in verse 13 there are two men. And uh, later on in the chapter, in verse 18, if you've got your Bible open, you can see this. It mentions that one of the men's names was Cleopas. Now, who knows who Cleopas is? <laughs> like, I don't really know a lot about him. You say, why? Because this is the only chapter in the Bible that mentions him. What's the, other's guy, the other guy's name? People argue, maybe it was Peter, I don't know. Here's what I can tell you. The Lord is willing to work with nobodies. You, your name doesn't matter. What family you came from, your past, that does not matter to God. These men are basically nameless, and they're kind of faceless in the Bible. You take Cleopas against Paul. Everyone knows Paul. Everyone knows Peter. Who's Cleopas? And, and who's the other guy that's unnamed? In, in God's economy, God does not need big names. He needs big hearts. And that's what the Lord is looking for. And these men, while, while the, the Lord shows up to them, there are some things that change. And I, I would say that like this, for a very long time, the church has been very good. I would say maybe, uh, maybe as a reaction to dead formal religion, a lot of churches have gone so far the other way to go, hey, you know what? It doesn't matter how you come. doesn't matter what you think. doesn't matter what your background. doesn't matter what you, uh, your, 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 your uh, education. And all those things are right as far as the approach of when it comes to the gospel. God doesn't care where you're coming from. He will save anybody. Thank God for that. However, can I say this? When you get saved, listen, you are to come as you are. I had someone tell me, well, what if I can't live it? I'm not sure if I'm ready to take this step. And I said to them, look, if you're waiting to get your life fixed for Jesus to save you, you will wait until you die. (laughs) You will never be sinless enough to save yourself. None of us are. Listen, you know what? Uh, Listen, uh, the way it works is this. If you get rid of the external stuff, you still have the internal stuff. You got lust. You got pride. You got envy. You got jealousy. You have self-righteousness. And you go, oh, no, no, no. I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. You're still self-righteous because you think you're more spiritual by saying you're spiritual than religious. Everyone's got a problem in this room. We are all sinners. And so as it relates to God, listen, yes, he wants you to come as you are and come at the feet of the cross and say, God, here I am, dirty, defiled, and full of sin, but God, you said you would accept me if I came on your terms, so here I am. But can I say this, guys? That's about the end of coming as you are. Once you're saved, you don't leave as you came. God, Listen, it's okay to come just as I am. But you should not leave. You know what happens with Christians oftentimes? They kind of get this idea, okay, I'm saved, I'm going to church, I'm good. Can I say this? Until you die, God is doing a work in your life from the moment you get saved until you take that last breath. The Bible says, he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know what that tells me? Look, God is not done working on me. Uh, Listen, the old song says, he's still working on me. Took him just a week to make the sun, the stars, and the moon, and all that stuff. But he's still working on me. Thank God that he is. But by virtue that he's working on me, that says, I'm not there yet. You ever been in a car ride with kids? Are we there yet? We're driving. Quit asking that question. Listen, when we get there, you're going to know, right? The car will stop. We will get out. And we will say... We're here. <laughs> Listen, if you're a born-again child of God, you're not there. You have not arrived yet until you get there. And until then, God is doing a work from the inside out. And what God wants to do is he desires change. You know what I know about people that aren't successful? They're not willing to change. They're, 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 okay, I've, I've come far enough. I'm not going any further. When you get that place, it doesn't matter if it's in fitness. It doesn't matter if it's in business. It doesn't matter if it's with your walk with God. When you come to a place where you go, I'm done growing, you're done. There's no more change. There's no more uh, challenge. Uh, and, and the old saying is this, if it doesn't challenge you, it will not change you. 
It's supposed to challenge you. Change is there for a reason as a child of God. You know what it says? Lord, I know you're doing a work in me, and I'm not done yet. Lord, I'm willing to change. I read this from C.S. Lewis. There are far better things ahead than anything we can leave behind. I read this. Change is painful, but nothing is as painful as staying stuck somewhere that you don't belong. Christian, you don't belong in this world. God wants to get you beyond here. All right? How about this one? Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing themselves. Yeah, let me change the world. You know, it's, it's amazing. You know, someone's like 16 years old. I just want to change the world. You work at Baskin Robbins. Like, like seriously, call, like slow down. Like maybe work on you first and then worry about the rest of the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? Listen, God wants it. If you work at Baskin Robbins, I want free ice cream. I love you. I'm not, uh, don't get offended by that. I'm simply saying, listen, we oftentimes think of these grandiose things. God is looking at it going, I want to change you first. Oh, I'm already saved. Great. Hallelujah. Wonderful. Thank God. Your soul is as good as it's ever going to be. However, your life is not. Not on this earth, not right now. You have to yield to what God wants to change in your life in order to get where God wants you to go. These men had a destination in mind. They were going to Emmaus, which was, let me remind you, three score furlongs, which, you know, unless you've done the math, you're not really sure what that means. But they're going somewhere, and they're going in a certain direction. And by the end of the story, they end up going right back in the opposite direction. Why? Because God wants to change what we're doing. We are not him. (laughs) Can I get a witness? And listen, we think sometimes we know exactly what we need to do in our lives and where we need to go, and God's going, nope, let's go this way. You think this is what's best for you, but I know what's best for you. Hey, can, can I say this? I, I'm glad I was raised in the 80s, man. I, by the way, do you guys know this with the uh, regular Baptist Press BBS thing? It was like dinosaur stuff, and they're playing 80s music. It was a subliminal message that if you're from the 80s, you are a dinosaur. That's what I got out of that. But I, I'm thankful I was born in the 80s when, you know, kids would run around and, you know, act like they were, you know, a, a horse or a dog or whatever, and, and no one really took them seriously. Amen? Like, we live in some from very interesting times now. You know, mommy, I'm a girl. Nope, you're still a boy, right? Uh, like, like, we live in some very, listen, there are some things that do not need to change about you. They're exactly how God made you. However, when it comes to the working of the inner man, The moment you get saved, Christ in you, this is doctrine. God places Christ in you, the hope of glory, through the Spirit of God. And he lives within you. And the Lord wants to work out, not for you to work for, but to work out from the inside out the salvation that God has placed in your soul so the rest of the world can be touched with the message of the gospel. And that cannot happen if you go, Lord, I'm done. I'm done changing. I'm done growing. I've come far enough. The Lord wants to change you, and the resurrection ought to change your life. The Bible speaks over and over about the new man versus the old man. You know what? The Bible tells us a story about a, a maniac of Gadara, and that maniac, was, uh, the Bible says he, was, uh, uh, he could not be bound with chains, and, and the Bible says he would cut himself with stones. He was basically manic depressive, and, and he was self-inflicting wounds on himself, and he wanted to hurt himself and, and take his own life because he was filled with devils, and, and the Bible says that, that that man has supernatural power, and they couldn't tame him, and they tried education, and they tried religion, and they tried philosophy, and they tried force, and they tried the law. They tried to subdue it, and nothing worked. The only thing that worked was Jesus Christ. The Bible says that man that was once naked and running around cutting himself and crying, the Bible says at the end of meeting Jesus, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind. You know what that tells me? The Lord changes you. (laughs) He's supposed to change you. And even after you're saved, you ought to change. Every day, the Lord should be allowed to change. Listen, it's funny. I think we live in a day and age where everyone wants to change God. And God's like, that's not how this works. It's supposed to work the other way around. I'm supposed to work in your life to make you more like me, not you trying to tell me to be more like you. And by the way, if you had a God that acted like you, we'd all be dead. So thank God he's not like us. You know, what if God was, he's not like one of us. Thank God he's not one of us. And thank God if he did become one of us, he wouldn't sing a song like that. You know what Moses does? Moses meets with God. And the Lord comes up in a burning bush. And Moses turns aside to see that bush and that sight. And the Lord speaks to him out of that bush. And the Lord says, hey, Moses, 
I want you to go and I want you to deliver my people. And he goes, but Lord, I, I, I'm a man of a, a slow speech. I don't know. I think in the original sin, that means he was from the south. Lord, thou dost know that thy servant cannot preach the gospel of them people. I don't know, but I'm, I'm picking on Cindy. Probably unfair. That's called a bully pulpit. I'm sorry. I apologize. But, but by the way, I'm doing, this is kind of wrong. This is me venting from years of her husband picking on me from the pulpit. Now I'm taking on her, all right? But, but, but I don't know what Moses' speech impediment was, but he had one. And he said this, I'm slow of speech, slow of tongue. Maybe he said this, uh, Lord, I, I, I put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable, and I'm not a good speaker. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe he had Tourette's. I have no idea. But I, I know this much. When the Lord shows up to me, he goes, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> I love it. He's like, Lord... Would you send someone to go with me? So what the Lord does out of mercy, the Lord's like, I mean, you read the chapter, it's kind of like the Lord's like, Ugh, fine. If you read the chapter, I promise you it's how it reads. All right, read it for yourself, Exodus 3 and 4. And then you know what the Lord does? He goes, okay, I'll send Aaron, your brother. So they go to Pharaoh, and, and Pharaoh goes, who are you guys? And Aaron's like, we are here. And Aaron says a couple of things. And, and, then, and then after that, Moses steps in. And for the rest of Moses' life, he never shuts up. You say, what is that? He's changed. He's not the same guy. How about this one? <laughs> Blankety blank, blank, blank. I don't know the man. Who, who said I'm a Christian? Who said I was running around that Jesus character? You don't know who the blank guy is? I mean, you say, who's that? That's Peter. You, re you read Peter in Acts chapter 2. He's a different man. You ever, ever talk, you ever think about blind Bartimaeus sitting by the wayside? Lord. And the Lord says, and what would you have? Lord, that, that you would open our eyes. The Lord opened his eyes, and I guarantee you for the rest of his life, everywhere he went, he, oh, blue never looked so blue, and green never looked so green. And we got a dear brother, a good friend of ours in this church that's blind as well, Brother Chris. You know what? Someday we're going to get to glory, and he's going to see. And you know what he's going to say? You guys are a bunch of chumps, man. You guys, were, you guys thought you saw good things down there. I'm seeing everything for the first time up here, and boy, it's way better than anything down there. <laughs> I tell you what, guys, I can't wait for that day. But until then, can you imagine blind Bartimaeus and everyone asking, hey, man, how did you get to, how was it that you were blind and now you see? I guarantee you everywhere that man went, he talked about the one that gave him his sight. He was a different man. Imagine talking to Lazarus. I mean, guys, there's some interesting, okay, like, okay, for example, if I had leprosy and then Jesus healed me of my leprosy, that's a big deal. Huge. But imagine being dead. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, okay, I've had, I've had uh, boys are different than girls. Uh, boys are different than girls. And God, you know, Mr. Rogers, whatever, you know. And, 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 and girls, like, you go in the room and you're like, you sneeze or something. <laughs> but boys, <coughs> I mean, really, you open the door. It smells like someone died in there, you know. <laughs> Can't wait till they're teenagers, you know. And, and, and just, it, it's, it's a little bit more effort to wake them. It's like, I've never been around, you know, like around a, a dead person, like in a room like that close. But, but I mean, that's probably about as close as I'm going to get for this time in my life. And I'll tell you what, I cannot imagine. There are times where I have literally, that one right there, don't look like all innocent stuff. <laughs> I didn't do anything. I've literally said, Ethan, Ethan. And the person goes, he's faking it, Dad. You know, Ethan, oh, 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 I mean, I mean, we, honestly, he's got a future in soccer. I could be 10 feet away and go like this, oh, you know, and, <laughs> if you play soccer, do not get offended with me, but, but I cannot imagine being like, like all the way out dead, and all of a sudden I hear my name, Lazarus, boom, eyes open and get up. I mean, I cannot imagine that. You know what Lazarus was from that day on? Changed. Can I ask you a question? Can the Lord change you? Uh, can, can I say it like this? After you're saved, would you allow him to continue to change you? You know what Paul says? I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, I'm not there yet. Come on, man. If a guy writes half the New Testament and a guy sees the third heaven and gets a vision of that, and he sees all these people saved, all these churches started, and that guy writes, I haven't gotten there yet, man, I think i got a long way to go. 
Can I ask you like this? Are you willing to allow the Lord to change you today? You know what's amazing to me? One time Moses and God have a conversation. And, and God's like, I'm going to wipe them all out. The whole nation. And then Moses is like, well, Lord, you probably don't want to do that because the nations around you are going to say that you weren't powerful enough to bring them out of Egypt and keep them alive and blah, 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 blah. And Moses kind of goes to bat for Israel. You know what the Bible says? The Lord repented him of that, of that thought. You see, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that God repented of sin. It means that he changed, listen to me very carefully, the Bible definition of repentance is change of mind. So here God changed, let me, I'll put it to you this way. If the creator of the universe can be persuaded by the prayer of a man, why would we not return the favor? God's willing to change his mind, why won't you? You know what, some of you are stuck in bitterness and unforgiveness. I won't forgive him, I won't forgive him, fine. But let me just say this right now, you are missing out on God's blessings in your life. You know why? Because you've decided, I will not yield. And you're going to miss out on the resurrected life. Look, if you would, at Luke 24, verse 14. Can I just point out a couple things out of this passage, and then we'll all go home and eat stuff, right? Luke 24, verse 14. They talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass while they communed together. Are you seeing a theme here? Together, together, and reason Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Isn't it amazing that Jesus shows up where two people are gathered in his name, kind of like what he said? And can I just say this? After the resurrection, the Lord should change your companionship. In other words, let me ask you this. Who are the closest people in your life? If you're a born-again child of God, you know who they ought to be? Born-again children of God. You say, oh, that means that I don't love anybody else. No, that, absolutely not. You ought to love your neighbor so much that you're willing to give them the gospel, so much you're willing to invite them to church, even if it's uncomfortable for you. You should love other people and put yourself out there, as they said, and be vulnerable for the sake of the gospel. That's true love. But as far as companionship goes, let me say it like this. Uh, once I got married to this one right here, I know the little one, she woke up. I wonder why. And once I got married to this one right here, guess what that meant to all other female relationships? Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness, ladies? Right? I mean, it ain't, listen, there, none of this, we have an open, uh-uh, no. Open, you know what that is? Open is, you are insane, man. You, you know what? The wisest man that ever lived, he messed up big time. That guy had a thousand wives, and at the end of his life, you know what he said? Shoot me. <laughs> I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically Ecclesiastes, is it not? You know what I'm trying to get you to understand? Look, when you are yoked up with someone, it says something about you. And so if you say, I'm following the risen Savior, you know what that means? You want a desire to be around people that talk about Jesus, people that are, can I use this term, a little fanatical about Jesus. Oh, I don't want to be extreme. Listen, the Bible is full of people that changed the world because they were unwilling to be complacent with the story of Jesus Christ. Can I ask you, what greater story, what greater life can you live than living a life of giving the gospel out and having the right kind of friends in your life? You know what Peter does? He warms himself by a fire one night. And you know what that leads to? It leads, it leads to him denying the Lord. You know what I'm trying to get you to understand? The people you surround yourself with make a big difference in your life. You know what a lot of people do? They get saved. They start learning the Bible, and God moves in their life, and they go, but I don't want to let go of. Now, here's the problem with that mentality. The mentality is this. I'm going to lose something. No, 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 no. You are going to gain the Lord. You have the wrong mindset about this. And, and listen, I, I, you may disagree with this. I don't, it doesn't matter. I mean, right now, I'm the only one talking, so I guess we can talk later. But here's what I'll tell you. I, I read this, and I believe it. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You know what? You want to, look, when people are physically active, they hang out with physically active people. When people are sedentary, they hang out with sedentary people. When people are into business and they want to grow and they, they're really driven uh, money-wise and they want to make a name for themselves in their career, they hang out with people like that. Can I say this? If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe find some Jesus freaks and hang out with them. You go, oh, I don't like that term. Listen, you, listen, I don't care what the world calls it. There's a fanatic, extremist. You know what I think is extremist? Here's what I think is extremist. 50 years ago, we're going to have an ice age. We're all going to die of cold. 
right? That's extreme. And you know why it's extreme? Because then 30 years ago, nope, my bad. <laughs> Do we say Ice Age? You're going to burn to death. Right? And, and then they go, well, it's not completely global warming. It's called climate change. And still, some of you are all still smoking that crack, and you still believe all that garbage. You know why? That's extreme fundamentalism for something else. I'd rather be an extreme fundamentalist about Jesus Christ because that matters. And it's a story that resonates with all. You try going to Africa and going, hey, the world's coming to an end. Hey, listen to this man. I mean, they'll think you're an idiot. But you go and tell them you're a sinner. Oh, yes, I am. They understand. You understand what I'm getting at? This is a universal message because you have a universal Savior. So why not hang out with people that believe the same way? Why not make that a goal in your life? The Bible says that Abraham was the friend of God. You know what that meant? Abraham was willing to sacrifice some things for his relationship with God. Now look, someday you're going to get married, probably. I don't know why you're laughing. You got some marriage counseling coming your way. She raised her hand, and I mentioned marriage. She's like, no, 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 no. So I want to watch it, man. Someday you're probably going to get married. All right? And you know what that's going to mean? You're going to have to sacrifice for her. Amen. 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 Only women are saying amen here. There's something wrong. The Bible says, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The ultimate sacrifice. <laughs> I, you know, I love it. Guys are, you know, in my mind, you know, someone comes to my house, you know, get the AR, you know, hit the nine, the Glock, da, 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 you know, and just like Rambo, got the bullet chain on my vest, you know, and got the ammo, I'm ready to go. But in all reality, the likelihood of that happening is probably not really high. You know what's more likely? Then my wife goes, honey, can you turn the fan off? Because it makes me cold. See, when, when, you're, when you are really into something, you're willing to sacrifice for it. If you're really into Jesus Christ, can I say this? Show me your friends and I'll tell you whether or not you really want to walk with them. You notice these guys are just talking and all of a sudden Jesus shows up. You know Jesus wants to show up in your life. Sometimes he's just not going to do it because I got news for you guys. The father did not leave the house to go find the prodigal son. The prodigal son came home. And if you want the Lord to show up in your life, it may have something to do with who you surround yourself with. Listen, you come to church and go, amen, amen, that's right. And you know, and I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. And you tell your kids, you better do right, and you better do this, and you better do, and all that kind of stuff. And then you surround yourself as an adult with people that are the exact opposite of what, what, of what Jesus wants you in your life and the exact opposite of these two men. You know what they're doing for several minutes at a time? Probably about almost two hours. They're talking about Jesus. That's just a little extreme for me. Well, what do you talk about? They went, the Bible says in verse 14, they talked together. In verse 15, they communed together. In verse 32, the words us are found. I mean, listen, we are far from perfect as Christians. Very far from it. The, the reality is you still have flesh to deal with even after you're saved. But can I say this? Once you're saved, you have the spirit of God inside of you. And the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Have you ever been somewhere, maybe in a different country, Cindy, and talking to this lady who defected from North Korea. And even though you don't know her from Adam, you're talking. It's like we're friends. We don't even speak the same language, but we're together. You say, what is that? That's the spirit of God. That's the spirit of God going, yep, they're family. You know, you ever been in a family reunion? We're like, dad, are you sure we're related to that person? You know, every once in a while, church can feel that way. I get it. But the truth of the matter is, I would much rather take, I love it when someone goes, oh, the hypocrites in the church. There's hypocrites at Walmart. There's hypocrites at your job. Quit using that as a lame, that's a lame excuse. Hypocrites, you're a hypocrite too. You know why? Because you just said you don't want to worship God because of hypocrites and you're one yourself. Is there anyone in this room that can look in the mirror and go, I am flawlessly perfect and I always live up to my ideals and values? No. So you know what? We all fall short. But I'll tell you what, I'd much rather take my odds with people that have the spirit. What would tie a fish? I mean, this sounds like a beginning of a, a Craig Gregory joke. So a fisherman and a tax collector and a doctor are all following a Jewish carpenter. What would bring all those people together? A risen Savior would. 
Cyprian, an early church father, said, It's a bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world, but I've discovered in the midst of it a quiet and good people who have learned the great secret of life. They have found a joy and wisdom which is a thousand times better than any of the pleasures of our sinful life. They are despised, or early church, the early church, they are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people, Donatus, are Christians, and I am become one of them. What a great testimony. You know what he's saying? You know what? This world's really messed up, but you know what? I can at least count on the, you go, well, they mess up. Christians mess up. Yes, they do. But can I tell you right now, guys, I would rather take my odds with someone that's got the spirit of God inside of them with someone that doesn't. Don't misunderstand me. I didn't say they aren't lost, but they're great people that I love and that I care about. And that has nothing to do with it. But when it comes to companionship and us breaking bread and iron sharpening iron, you can't get that outside of the church. I don't mean this building. I mean God's people. God gave us that so we would have that companionship. He gave us the spirit of God to leave a witness in us. And, and when we get together, God does something supernatural. Just like he did back then in Luke 24. Can I say this? Look at you at verse 17. These are what Jesus says. Luke 24, look at verse 17. Jesus says, he said to them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another? Can I say that the resurrected Savior should change your conversation. Yes, sir. He should change what you talk about. I, listen, that doesn't mean you can't ever talk about the weather. It doesn't mean you can't ever talk about current events. It doesn't mean like, you know, all I do all day long, ask my kids, I just sit in a room and I read my Bible and I pray. And that's, all, no, that's not what we're talking about. But let me just say this much. There ought to be some excitement. There ought to be something flowing out of you if you're walking with the risen Savior. Something that flows out of you that says, man, I've got all this inside of me. I've got to let it out. Some of you, God knows, when you get angry, oh man, I love it when someone says, I don't get angry often, but boy, when I do, watch out. You know what the old saying is? Input equals output. If you walk with Jesus Christ, you know what you're going to do? You're going to talk about him. The risen Savior should change what comes out of your mouth. The risen, listen, there's nothing wrong with talking about your favorite football team, but can I say this? That's not going to affect your eternity. <laughs> you know, I'm going to tell you right now, nothing wrong with talking about work and business and life and all things down here, but those things, listen, these guys talked for hours. And they did not talk about the Republican Party. They did not talk about the Democrat Party. They did not talk about the economy. They didn't talk about other people. They talked about Jesus Christ. What am I getting at? Can I ask you a question? How often do you talk about Jesus? Is it basically a matter of, you know, just, hey, look, I'm at church, so I'll talk about him here. When you leave this place, it'll flow out of you. When you get done reading your Bible, it should flow out of you. Can I ask you a question? If the Lord were to inquire, how many of your words are words of anger and strife? Words of bitterness? Words of pride? You ever, let, let's be honest. When you look at other people that you don't like, you go, oh, I wouldn't do that. And then you talk about them. You talk about something. You don't, l- listen, I, I read a study. Ladies, don't hate me. I promise. It's just, I read this. It's on the internet, so it must be real. They say women talk about 20,000 words a day compared to men's 7,000 words a day. Now, I don't know if that, there's probably exceptions to this rule, I'm sure, on both sides. But I can tell you, for the most part, you ask a man, how was your day? Good. You ask your wife, how was it? Oh, man, you should have seen what she did, and she said this, and she did that, and, and after that, we went here, and she was wearing a purple dress, and can you believe that? That's my favorite color, and I was thinking about that. Maybe think about the sunset. Matt, we should go out and go watch the sunset. It's purple. It's beautiful. Oh, uh, okay, all right. And you ask him, man, how was your day? Good. Now, now, I'm sure we could probably, the way that God created us in our differences, we could probably learn from each other. But here's my point. Regardless if you're a man or a woman, you are going to talk about something. How often do you talk about Jesus Christ? Well, I don't want to make it uncomfortable at work. They might need it a little uncomfortable at work. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm just being honest with you. Uh, there's all kinds of things people have no problem talking about in public that, you know, every once in a while, dropping a little Jesus bomb in there wouldn't be a bad idea. Just kind of going and talk. Listen, has he not done something for you? Did he not rise from the dead? 
Did he not change your life? If he did that, man, every once in a while, just letting some of that out would be a good thing. He changes my conversation. Can I say this? Look, if you would, at verse number 26. He changes my clarity of sight. You know what the Lord does? He starts speaking to them out of the scriptures. And look, if you would, at verse number 31. The Bible says, their eyes were opened and they knew him. You say, what did it take for their eyes to get open? Well, here's where we're going to do some math. 60 furlongs is actually about seven and a half miles. If you walk, an average person walks 10 to 15 minute mile. Let's go 15 minutes, make it long because they were slow, because they were into their conversation. So like, you know, when you're talking with someone, you're really into something, you don't just go like, you don't speed walk like an old person at the mall, right? You, you kind of take your time and you talk with them and you, you're kind of looking at them and, and say they take a 15 minute mile. You do the, the, the math. You know what? It's basically two hours of conversation. You know what? The, the problem with, the, uh, with us today is we have apps for everything. We want things done like this. God, change me, change me now. It takes no effort on my part. Listen, salvation, no effort on your part at all. You just accept a free gift. But living the Christian life, that's going to take some time. And you have to be okay with that. For nearly two hours they talked. And then they, the Lord acted like he was just going to kind of walk out of the picture. Look at verse 29. The Bible says in verse 28, he says he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him, verse 29. And their eyes were opened. So how do they go from their eyes being shut to their eyes being opened? A little bit of time with the Lord. A little bit of time spent looking at Him. We sing an old song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. You know what the problem is? You have eyes on people. Eyes on your money. Eyes on your problems. Eyes on your heroes. Eyes on current events. Eyes on everything but the Lord. You know, to be able to see clearly, you know what you have to do? You have to learn to get your eyes on Him. You notice I see, lastly here, I've seen the Lord change, the risen Savior change their commitments. Look, if you would, at verse 33. Can I, can I remind you where they were going at the beginning of the, of the passage? They go to a place called Emmaus, seven and a half miles that way. And then the Lord says, uh, the Lord shows up to them. The Lord expounds the scriptures unto them. Can you imagine that? And their eyes are open after he breaks that bread. Look, the Lord broke bread for 4,000, for 5,000, and yet there were only two guys there, and he still broke bread for them. And by the way, he never ate himself. He gave them food. Can the Lord change your plans? Can he change your commitments? Well, I, I want to do this. Okay, great, but where does God want to take you? They were going in this direction, and then, and then two hours after that, I go, well, we just, you, you saw that, right? That was the Lord. Yeah, I'm not losing my mind. Yeah, okay, then we have to go back and tell everybody else. Yeah, but I don't know why they were going to Emmaus. Maybe it's for a job. I have no idea. But it wasn't just for fun. There was a reason they were going there, and for some reason, the Lord said, man, uh, let's go back this way. You know what I'm trying to get you to understand? Jonah, man, he misses out, doesn't he? He tries to do it his own way. I knew a young man that said, I'm called to Bible school. I'm going to go to Bible school. And uh, another significant person in his life said, no, you're not. And he spent more than 10 years of his life on the backside of the desert spiritually. You say, why? He wouldn't allow God to change his plans. Can God change yours? The Lord left his throne. He left his glory. He took a manger over a throne. He took an open starlit sky over the splendors of heaven. He took the rejection, the hatred, the mockery over the worship that he experienced for all of eternity. Why? Because you were so important, he was willing to change his plans for you. He loved you that much. God, I got my plans. I'm busy. Uh, Lord, you've seen my calendar, haven't you? I'm important. Someday you're going to take your last breath. I'm going to tell you, the money's not going to matter. You say, well, it makes my life better now. I'm not saying money's evil. I didn't say that. The love of money's evil. Money's not evil. I don't believe that. I believe God blesses people and gives them opportunities, and they work hard, and God blesses that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm telling you, when it's all said and done, you will not walk into heaven with your 401K. You know what took priority in their life? Whatever God wanted. 
You know what I love about this passage? In verse 30, the Lord blessed the bread and broke it and gave it to him, but he doesn't eat. That's why 12 verses later, he finally gets a meal. You know what that tells me? He put others first. Who wouldn't want to be committed to someone like that? You know what the Lord's given to every child of God? The Great Commission, a great commitment. We're to leave this place and go, you know what? I've got plans. I'm going to go to lunch. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But, 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 but Lord, while I'm doing all that, you're first. If the Great Commission is true, our plans are not too big. They're too small. I read this. I love this. A church that does not evangelize will fossilize. You ever been in a dead church? You know why they're dead? Because it's about buildings and monuments and programs instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Great Commission will not be fulfilled with our spare time or our spare money. David Livingston said, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? Are you committed? Would you allow the risen Savior to change what matters and what, what's first in your life? Change me, Lord, and make me whole. Renew my body, mind, and soul. Create in me a brand new thing. Wash me on the inside and make me clean. Take out the junk that's in my heart. Please, Heavenly Father, just give me a brand new start. I've always tried doing it my own way, but dear Jesus, I surrender to you my all today. Change me, Lord, my all to you I give. In your word, I truly want to live. I want your spirit in everything I do. I want to be more like you. I want your spirit to dwell deep inside of me. I no longer want to be bound, but I want to be totally free. I want to eat of your word morning, noon, and night. Lord, I want to be pleasing in your sight. Change me, Lord. My body, mind, and soul, I'm ready to be made whole. You know, you know what I know about my God? He's a personal God. And when he rose from the dead, he didn't just do it for all of mankind. He did it for every individual in this room. And if you're not saved, I beg with you, consider what Jesus Christ did for you in taking the load and burden of sin on him so he could make you a new creature. And if you're a born-again child of God, can I ask you, just do some inventory. What is something you're allowed? Have you gone to a place where you go, okay, Lord, you can change this and that, but leave this alone. Are you allowing God to change you? You know, we like, you know, uh, from the grave he arose, hallelujah, Easter. All right, let's talk about something else. No, we're not ready for that. We need to keep talking about the resurrected Savior because you know what I know about him? He wants you to allow that to change your life today. Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I can't see hearts. I don't know. It's not my job. Lord, you've asked me to preach your word, and that's what I did to the best of my ability. As feeble as it may be, Lord, I, I realize I'm a feeble tool, feeble instrument, Lord, to try to convince people of anything. But God, I pray that your children, those that are truly born-again children of God, would desire something more, something better than just what's here. Lord, this is fleeting. This is temporary. This is passing. Lord, you're eternal. Lord, I pray that the change that you desire to do in our lives today would yield eternal fruit. That's what you're about. Lord, I love how these two men, they went back and told the disciples. No one told them they had to do it. They just did it. God, would you create in us that kind of desire, Lord, to put a spark in us. We get, we get complacent. We get to where we don't want to change anything. God, would you, would you change us? Change our minds. Change our thoughts. Change our conversations. Lord, change our companionship if it needs be. Lord, I pray for you. Any of your children that are here today, Lord, you speak to their hearts and help them respond in like manner. With every head bowed and every eye closed, the invitation is for you if you're a child of God to maybe just do some inventory. Can God change your habits? Can He change your friends? Can He change your conversation? Can He change your desires, your priorities? You ought to be able to. You ought to be able to. ask a question, a real simple question. If you're here today and you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're a born-again child of God, 
some of you may go, well, preacher, why do you always do this? Because I know this, the Lord doesn't ever meet someone without calling for a decision. That's what he does. So if you're here today and you're saved and you know you're saved, would you just slip up your hand and go, yep, I'm a born again child of God. I got saved when I was X years old. This is where it took place. This is when it happened. I trust that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Hands all over the place. Amen. If you could not raise your hand, would you be honest enough with God? We're going to have a meeting here in a little bit for Vacation Bible School, but nothing is more important if you're not saved than someone opening a Bible. Look, it literally will cost you nothing. You have to do nothing to gain it except for accept a free gift. That's it. The Lord wants to give you the gift of salvation. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, I'm going to ask this question. If you're here and you're not sure that you're saved, or maybe you just flat out know, preacher, I'm not saved. I know I'm not saved. I try to be a good person. I try to live a good life. I try to be good to my neighbor. I try to treat people the right way. I'm doing the best I can. And let me just say this much. I appreciate that. I'm not making light of that, but I want you to understand that will not save you. Because if that could save you, Jesus Christ died for no reason. So with no one looking around, the rest of your week is going to go by like a flash. Just slow down for 30 more seconds. With no one looking around, let me ask you this. If you're here and you're not saved, would you be willing to raise your hand and go, Preacher, I'm, I'm not saved, but I'd like to be. I won't point you out. I won't drag you down here. It's not how it works. But I'd like to pray for you. Would anyone be honest and say, Preacher, I... Not sure that I know if I'm going to heaven when I die. You know, I go to such church. I, I've, I've been baptized. I've, I've tried to do the right thing and whatever. Or maybe you're like my friend Richard when he first came to church. You know, I'm, I think I'm an atheist. I'm not sure. Maybe that's for you. I don't know. But if you're not saved, would you be honest enough to say, Preacher, I, I'm not saved, but I'd like to be. Here's what I know. It matters so little what people think of us. Everything relies on what God knows about us. You have a loving God that sent His Son here to die for you. And He rose from the dead to change you. (laughs) Preacher, I just heard that message. I don't want to be a Jesus freak. Well, let me say it like this. No one's going to ask you to do that to be a Jesus freak overnight. You know what, though? It's like Monopoly. You don't pass go. You don't collect $200. The rest of your life will not make the sense that it could without having the creator of the universe living in you and allowing his spirit and his love and his mercy and his grace to fill your life. The song she's playing is Have Thine Own Way. Allow the Lord to do his work. Allow him to change you. Thank you, Miss Rachel. Thank you for coming today. Pray you got something from the Word of God. And uh, we'll be back at it Wednesday night, 7 o'clock for midweek Bible study. If you can make it out, we'd love to have you. Kind of learning right now about where our Bible comes from and how important and critical that is to our foundation of our faith, uh, we'd invite you to come join us for that. Uh, pray that you not, if you can't make it Wednesday, we'll see you next Sunday. Let's close in a word of prayer. And uh, in about five minutes, we'll have our VBS meeting. And I'll just say this, if you are here and you got questions about the Bible, you have questions about eternity, don't leave without those questions being answered. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, Brother Steon if you would close us in a word of prayer, sir.